0: Hi, this is Hannah Peel, and you're listening to the Contemplative, Podcast. the
1: Contemplative Podcast.
2: Hello, and welcome to The Contemplative Podcast, Series 2, with me, Matt Emery, and in conjunction with Contemplative Classical and Headphone Commute. It's great to be back for a second series and we have an amazing lineup of guests coming up over the next year. And as ever, you can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe or leave a rating or review so that we can help grow the podcast. So without further ado, it's an honour to introduce our first guest of the new series, Hannah Peel. You may know her from a soundtrack work for Game of Thrones, The Last Watch or The Deceived. Her glorious music box, which she worked with Spitfire Audio to produce an amazing plug-in of it for their Lab series. You may know her through presenting BBC3's radio show Night Tracks, or her own artist work having only just released her latest album, Furwave, a beautiful new electronic album that's been receiving rave reviews far and wide. You can hear all about everything I've just mentioned right after this clip of Emergence in Nature, taken from her album Furwave, which is out now. Hi Hannah, welcome to the Contemplative Podcast. Thank you uh, so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule at the moment to speak to us. And um, let's let's jump straight into, as we were just talking, something current, your new album Fur Wave, which is out 26th of March. Um, you've released the first single, Emergence and Nature, which is, um, it's beautiful. Um, it's For those who haven't heard, it's kind of a mixture of synths. You've got some electronic beats, there's some sort of string and vocal textures in there. Um, is that, can we expect more of that on the album and can you tell us a bit more about the album a bit about the process of making the album
0: yeah thank you for having me and hello everybody um yes so it came about as a really kind of a strange kind of record in some ways it was never meant to be a record that was released because it was supposed to be just a library record (laughs) and um as we were just kind of discussing before we, we pressed record um you kind of write library records with no intention of an audience per se listening and buying it. So in some ways you can really expand on that world. But what was really interesting about this particular record and that really kind of intrigued me as a composer and an artist was that KPM want uh, the you know, the very famous library uh, record label. They have um, this KPM 1000 series and the electrosonic record, which was released in 1972, which contains the sounds of Delia Derbyshire and uh, Brian Hodgson and Don Harper from the Radio Frantic Workshop. Workshop. Um, and was a kind of sneaky library album because they were all being employed somewhat by the BBC at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, they went under pseudonyms which quite randomly I had f- totally forgotten about. So um, Delia Derbyshire was LaRousse or the redhead, <laughs> which is quite funny because I'm a ginger. <laughs> um, but basically, um, Paul, who works at, who runs the EMI library section, which, you know, run, uh, own all the KPM records, had said, we'd like you to have a go at doing a new version of this album. And... I mean, it's an iconic record. The sounds in it are like quest and, you know, they're things that they're just not replaceable. Like you just couldn't, I, I just really found myself stuck in a, a kind of place of like pressure in order to, well, it's quite overwhelming. How do you take a record, which is quite iconic with people that are iconic, that are your idols and do something new with it. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of my journey into making the album or as it was the library album was the exploration of the sounds that were originally made and how I can transform them so by sampling the sounds themselves and actually making them into midi instruments so rather than kind of remixing the record and taking melodies that they had I've kind of resampled it and remade it um, amazing which is, and then the the single emergence in nature which is then out now is another remake of the original library record (laughs) so it's a remake of a remake of a remake Um, but in order to make it more feel like more like a record it needed to be remixed in a a bit more production so I did that with an amazing mixer and producer Tim Allen who's based in Bristol Um, but yeah it wasn't intended to be an album I just sat with it and because lockdown kind of hit I was like we'd always discussed my manager and I about how we could take a record, this record and make it feel more like an album um, that you could push to radio and things like that. And and Tim allowed that headspace because I couldn't see past the originals. Yeah. So it was lovely to collaborate with someone on it again.
2: Yeah. Awesome. And w- was it written over lockdown? It's, it's kind of got, uh, obviously from listening to the first track, it's got a real vibe that you can naturally sort of boogie to like uh it's uh, something that yeah (laughs) if if you know what I mean by that in terms of uh I know that there's been certain times in lockdown where I've just cranked my speakers in my studio and just gone a (laughs) bit crazy where it's uh but yeah was this written in lockdown or is it something recent that you you'd you'd worked on is it well no I mean I
0: yeah the library album was finished and delivered kind of two and a half three years ago And, you know, it was one of those Marmite ones that I hated and then loved at the same time. (laughs) So, So, but I guess one of the things that was really, I was really feeling in the first kind of stages of lockdown in 2020 was thinking about how it's going to be afterwards and thinking about how kind of world situations have changed Um, you know like you have the roaring 20s and then you have like the kind of the the, the 60s and the freedom of that and how the design and and the feel of the music and everything changes after those kind of world moments that shook everybody and I, I feel like the same with this in terms of music I think there's going to be a real kind of I've noticed particularly kind of the more more contemplative tracks have come out very early on, and what I'm sensing is that now people just want to keep moving, they keep wanting to find things to dance to in their homes and keep looking forward to kind of positivity of like, we will get through this, come on, we can do it. Um, and so that when I approached Tim to say, can, can you kind of re jig the beats on this and make it feel a bit more dancey? that it was with that intention that yeah. I wanted yeah. to have. Um, and he's come back and delivered something amazing. So, um, yeah, very happy about it. <laughs>
2: awesome. And I think I'm right in saying that it is yourself releasing it. Um, yeah. I saw, uh, I think I'm sure it was something you posted saying that you'd released uh, 10 albums and EPs with 80% of them being self-released. Um, mm-hmm. One, like how have you found obviously it's it's been it's work been working for you, but what what advice would you have for other up and coming composers about self releasing? I think it's becoming a much bigger thing now. People realize that you can self release and to you know you don't always have to have a label to have success basically yeah
0: it's a really i mean it's such a wide ranging question to to start with because I've been doing it for so long because I kept coming up against that wall of like, sadly, you know, sending stuff to labels. And, and I actually did get an email back once saying, we've actually got a female artist that is like you. Um, This is like, you know, like eight years ago. And it was so disheartening that I just thought, we'll just do it ourselves. And, you know, there wasn't that many people doing it or speaking about it because it wasn't seen as the cool thing to do. But Um, A couple of years ago when I was still living in London um, I noticed that quite a lot of my female friends weirdly were all self-releasing so I said why don't we get together and once a month we had a breakfast meeting um, you know which is handy when you're all living in the same city together and got together and talked literally about Business in terms of like who's releasing what what press agencies are really good publishing sorting problems you know manufacturing who was who was really good at it that kind of thing and really feeling like we were a a team it sometimes felt like we were in a AA meeting (laughs) because we kind of start off and say oh I'm Hannah Peel and I'm releasing a
1: record
0: (laughs) but it was we and um you know, I've made the best friends with some of those people like Hinako Mori and Aisha. She used to play the bass in uh, Savages and is uh, releasing onto her own name, Esya now, and Bishi. Uh, she's got some songs out at the moment with Richard Norris, the electronic producer. So there was a real clan of us that kind of got together and um, it started to feel like we weren't on our own. However, what's happened, I guess, with lockdown is, this whole kind of time out of the music industry to reassess the Spotify and the streaming industry and also the whole beauty of of what is Bandcamp and how that has helped so many people. So yeah, it is now the thing to kind of go, right, self-release. But it's taken me years to kind of get to grips with that and to be able to actually do a tweet and say I'm self-releasing because I felt so conscious of it before that it wasn't cool yeah. <laughs> and, and you know every I, it's nice to be part of a gang or part of a, a roster of artists and you always I've always had a dream of wanting to be part of a label but it's never quite worked out um however there are benefits to this and I don't want to talk too much about it but there is some when you're a composer and you own your own masters and you're part of a really great publishing team whether you're with them or not um there is an amazing flexibility around being able to release records if you've scored a TV show and you need to get it out there or you've done something and you want to release a single straight away. There is a real reactive side of it that you're not going through throes of people to agree and decide on things, which is really great. And I love yeah.
1: that.
2: Really cool. I know you're. Uh, is, is that your studio that you are speaking to me from now?
0: I am in my studio. Yeah.
2: It'd be amazing to speak a tiny bit about some of the gear because I know that we have people who will want to know about um, some of the gear that you've used to, and and that you you write with. Um, I heard you say in another interview, which which really made me laugh, that you drive a crap car because you spent all your money on synths. <laughs> <laughs> but like for for people who are interested, um, like what what are your go-to synths and have you got any favourites that you that you currently use?
0: yeah i do um yeah it's yeah so in my studio currently at the moment i have this kind of spaceship spaceship like desk with some compressors and eqs um i've got a really beautiful roll and tape machine and re 201 and some drum machines and some shelves over there to the right and then to the left is the racks of synths um and there below them is guitar uh, probably i don't know maybe 15 20 guitar pedals on the floor there with a guitar that i don't know how to play but i (laughs) like making noise and i usually put my vocals on my violin through all the guitar pedals and then just next door is a piano and a little mini celtic harp and acoustic instruments but they don't fit in this room but um yeah the synthesizers i've got one big hole now because i just sold a moog sub 37 because i wasn't using it and thought yeah. i could put that money towards something else so i've just bought one of folk tech's resonant gardens
2: amazing and i'm still waiting for it to be delivered <laughs> but when it, when
0: it does come it's going to be there and you know then you can pluck the strings on it and use the oscillators and everything with the, the actual strings um but i've got a Juno 60 and that is my favorite synth above everything i just find it very easy to use and create great sounds. There's some Moog Mothers, and then there's a Wasp um, ESP, which is incredible, if anybody knows them. They're like black and yellow, look like a wasp, and they sound <laughs> like a wasp. Um, and there's some da- there's a Daysmith Mofo, and um, Arturia Mini Brute, and then a Lyra 8 kind of noise drone machine thing. Amazing. Um, which has like eight oscillators on that you can create these crazy noises with. So generally it, it depends what kind of project that I'm working on. Oh yeah. There's a Jupiter four at the bottom,
1: um,
0: but she's a big beast and she doesn't get used very much. So, but I can't sell her. She's too precious. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think my general obsession was since it's harder now I live in Northern Ireland as there's, there's less choice to get something quickly in exchange or, um, so I have to now plan a lot better if I want to come across <laughs> in a car and exchange my old synth for a new or vice versa um, so yeah that's that's it and then on the desk in front of me is some um, oblique strategy cards uh, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt ones
2: nice which very handy <laughs> awesome yeah I've seen I've seen those actually so you um for people who might not know what they are they um They're like cards that you pull out and they have a sentence on it and it makes you kind of think outside the box, I suppose, uh, and and try something different if you're stuck in a hole. I think I'm right in saying that's what they are.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's just, yeah, to make, yeah, expand your mind. So let's pick one. (laughs)
2: Let's shuffle. All
0: right. Tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, let's see what it says. Only a part, not the whole.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whatever you want to take that as.
2: <laughs> I don't know how we apply that to this situation, but as uh, as to uh, writing a song, yeah, definitely that that yeah. makes sense.
0: Yeah, you just use a part of it and not think of the whole of it. Yeah, it's like it's funny how easily adaptable they are.
2: Like, yeah. I'm going to use one. Hang
0: on. All right, this one. <laughs> Abandon normal instruments. <laughs> <laughs> it's safe to say that always happens. So. But yeah, they are good. I recommend them to anybody
2: that's listening and wants them.
0: I think they're good as well. They're not just for musicians. They're really great for writers, I think. As yeah. well. And creative. But, yeah,
2: yeah, just just gets the brain thinking as we say out outside the box. That's cool. <laughs> One, one thing uh, we, I thought we must mention is your music box, because obviously it's probably played quite a big part in your musical journey along the way. Um, uh, like how, how did that come about? When, when did you first get that? And, and it seems to have featured in quite a few things. I know you did a, um, you worked with Spitfire and they did a uh, plugin for their lab series as well. Um, for it yeah. which which actually i've used <laughs> so uh, yes is is it weird to think that many people out there might actually be playing your music box in
1: their <laughs> yeah there is a side to
0: me that feels slightly like proud but also slightly weirded out because <laughs> <laughs> i think it's had quite multi-million downloads like yes yeah. it's, it's you know but one thing yeah i love what spitfire do and um and I'm just glad there is a music box recording out there that is good and is usable and feels real because it is paper that has been hand-punched and churned by the hand through my music box. So you yeah, get that yeah. kind of like sound of the paper, don't you? And and the feel of wood. It's not as like tinny or metal-y yeah. as it would
2: be normally. You've actually got a mic inside the box, haven't you? Um, so that you can pick up all those extra sounds.
0: Yeah, and it's attached to the wood side of the box. So, so yeah, you do get that. I mean, I've edited it, obviously, for the Spitfire Labs, but when you play it as a song, as a whole, you do get all the nuances of the paper feeding through and the sounds of the creaking, and it's just got a really gorgeous quality to it. I was doing um, a theatre show in Liverpool. This is a long time when I used to live there. I don't know, maybe 14 years ago this was, but... um, no maybe less than that 13 12 years ago say um and I was looking for things that turn round and you know record players and things that were circular to be part of the stage show and I was researching music boxes and found them in a magic shop Wow! <laughs> online <laughs> so um and they import them from China um and so I just bought up quite a few and and started hole punching and at the time I was going through quite a rather stressful situation with curating a festival and having to deal with health and safety licenses and going to the council for meetings and as a young singer songwriter or artist that was like the worst nightmare (laughs) so um so I wanted to do something that felt like therapeutic almost like crocheting or drawing in your spare time to kind of ease the mind and I found music boxes did that (laughs) mainly because you're punching holes in something quite aggressively and it does get out any tensions you're feeling (laughs)
2: how how does it work because I I actually haven't seen the paper is it is it like almost like you get a scale of um notes so you obviously have like the keyboard and then you literally just punch in and it's it's almost like a midi editor where you got the boxes and it and it it's like 16th notes and you just put in the riverman and, and
1: the note,
0: yeah, the value is like a graph. Yeah, very much like MIDI.
1: Yeah,
0: you're literally inputting the 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 notes onto a graph. And if you can work out how to manage the speed of that and the tempo, once you know that, it's quite an easy task. It's just very laborious. Yeah. <laughs> um. Some some songs are easy. Like when I so the first one I ever did was Tainted Love. Um. Just for a laugh, really, because I just thought it was really it'd be really nice to do some 80s music yeah um and obviously you know the soft cell version and there's not too many notes in that but i decided i was going to do four tracks and one of them was electricity omd which is the Mm. and that was a lot of notes (laughs) yes that took ages, like, <laughs> it about 12 hours to score it and then punch the holes. And by the time I'd finished, I didn't want to ever do it again. But um, it became, uh, I was, you know, living in Liverpool and knew Andy McCluskey from OMD and ended up playing him it and he was kind of blown away. So it kind of opened a door into... Um, into that world and so I sent it to someone and it got released on a little vinyl I think it was like a 507 inch vinyl and it sold out straight away and from that somebody said we can sync it into some films and tv and some tv adverts and it just went from there and that was my door in into scoring actually and doing more tv work you know meeting music supervisors and, and people that could help
2: Awesome. You've you've linked yourself absolutely perfect there because uh, my, nec- <laughs> my next my next question was moving on to soundtracks is is you know soundtracks is something that you'd always wanted to do I was going to say did did you go after that way or did it more come to you in terms of the the music that you were putting out Um I know people like I've heard interviews with like Dustin O'Halloran for example who, who was doing solo piano music and it because of the type of music he was playing there was directors that loved what he did and asked to score for him did you uh, Yeah, is it more that way, or or is it something that you've kind of actively pushed to sort of get into?
0: Yeah, very, very much part in part, actually. Um, During my degree, I was lucky enough to have, as a composition teacher, a few different composers, but one was Gary Carpenter, who was he's most known for his classical scoring amazing work but he's also one of his first kind of younger jobs was the md for the wicker man and so a lot of my composition lessons were scoring film under his eye and uh, my final kind of year in my degree was performing and writing the music with another violinist um for actually for like a kind of 12 piece kind of trip hop band for like 1920s dada films And um, we, we went down to the BFI, we saw the reels, we chose the films we wanted, took them back. And that became a really successful piece in that we took it to a few different festivals at the time, like The Big Chill. So as a student, that was quite a massive thing. And it really satisfied that part of me of like experimenting, but also writing for visuals, which I found so exciting, that kind of thrill you get when something matches up or makes you feel something and the power of music to do that or shift or change something so it was always something that I wanted to do Um, and I applied to do a master's in film scoring in at the Royal College of Music and they said my scoring work wasn't up to scratch to do a master's Uh, and I just had a degree a first degree so I was like Okay. So luckily enough, the guy who was running it rang me and said, look, you, you haven't had a classical degree because it was a more of a pop musical degree that I'd done. Um, uh, but he was like, you know, if you keep on going, you'll you'll get there in the end. <laughs> so I decided to kind of go, right, I'm going to go down the artist route and I'm going to develop a sound and make something that's mine and get into it that way. And the music box opened the door for that. Yeah. And uh, you know, and talking about the last few years, uh, Game of Thrones really came about because Jeannie Finlay, the director of the documentary The Last Watch, knew of me and we'd spoken before in the past. But she wanted Music Box to do a version of the the main Game of Thrones title, yeah, which is amazing. A, thank you, and it accompanies a beautiful handmade tapestry, so it kind of fitted really well. Um, so yeah so it was part and part and it was my own way of kind of getting in a door uh, by chance and by I suppose being different as well
2: yeah that must feel um, quite lovely having having someone said that that yes you can't get on the course and now actually obviously you got an Emmy nomination for your work on Game (laughs) of Thrones um, so that must feel almost like I can do it Um, yeah, yeah. it's
0: good but I, I guess a lot of people and my peers included would say that I've just come out of nowhere but the reality is is I've been doing it for so long like 15 years yeah so and I think that's the case with a lot of people isn't it you yeah. you, you hear stories of like yeah but it's only now you get recognition or whatever and it, you know I'm still struggling I still have over lockdown done God, I can't count the number of interviews I've done over Zoom and just not been successful. It's still really, really hard. Even with an Emmy nomination, it doesn't it does open more doors, but it doesn't get easier. That's for yeah. sure.
2: I, 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 was, I was going to ask like working on Game of Thrones the last uh, watch was it was it um, was it a, a funny one going into something that has such a massive fan base was there did you you know was that was that a nerve-wracking experience at all I mean obviously Game of Thrones is as big as they come um, yeah how how was it working on something that has just <laughs> such a, an amazing built-in fan base right there
0: oh it's massive oh it was so much fun though like Because I'd just moved to Northern Ireland as well. I mean, I'd left London and I'd just bought a house near Belfast and um, it was amazing being able to go on set and see everything and walk the streets of like Dubrovnik.
1: Um,
0: Yes, I've been
2: there. I've been around the castle walls. It's brilliant.
0: Oh, it's just, but to do that in Belfast is just, it was just brilliant. It was just so good to see it happening and see a couple of the scenes being filmed that I then saw later in the series and um but i guess you know i was working with a fabulous team and Jeannie Finley finley's just a wonderful director and she is wasn't interested in showing or comparing um to the, to the to the series you know she finds and discovers stories of people that are on the unspoken stories the things you don't hear about so it was very much a process for her of years of work of filming everything And I think they ended up with like 900 hours of footage that they then had to cut down into two. So it was a massive task. And I'd sent her the initial kind of demos. We'd spoken. She said, I want this kind of, because of the harshness of the weather in Northern Ireland, at times they were in freezing rain and snow and shooting scenes. And it was just, you know, unbearable for a lot of people, the crew. Um, So uh, she said, I want tracks that are like, uh the weather, so like I want the rain, I want the snow, I want everything, and that was my kind of base for where to go off on and and I'd watched the series and thought about everything uh and went back to her with these like massive bombastic tracks and synthesizers <laughs> and and then when she showed me the footage it was like did not work. it needed to be more handmade and it needed to have a kind of more of a folk element to it, an acoustic element, and very emotional at times like seeing the last reading after they've all worked together after 10 years so so yeah the music very quickly changed direction completely um to like more flutes and music boxes and things like that
2: So you were speaking about being on, on set um, with Game of Thrones. I know you also recently scored the soundtrack to The Deceived, which is a four-part psychological thriller on Channel 5. Um, and I know that you went on set there and recorded a lot of the sounds and incorporated them in the actual soundtrack. Um, maybe you could tell us a bit more about that process as well.
0: Yeah, this, I really like going on set. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know it's just if you've got an opportunity to go on it's it's really wonderful to see and makes you feel like you're a little bit more connected rather than kind of just in a room watching footage um but yeah if I get the opportunity I will go but I guess one of the things when I had my first kind of meeting with the director and the producer of The Deceived um I'd said to them that I'd like to do more of a soundscape type atmospheric score uh using the sounds of the house would be great and because it was being shot in northern ireland it was very easy for me to get to and and utilize um working with a sound engineer and things to to capture stuff so they were really up for that and so i went on set on a sunday when nobody was around there was no heating on it was absolutely baltic in the middle of winter um But we spent the whole day capturing sounds like crystal cut glass, which I turned into this kind of weird ethereal voice, like almost singing voice um, that appeared when there was moments of like almost like the house was speaking. And like this door that had this low sub sound that when you you creaked it really, really slowly, you got these resonances that were just like kind of
1: going... (laughs) and
0: you know like an agar, steam from an agar, or um one of the one of the sounds that created was a bath shuffle uh which was i brought lots of different brushes and things with me and, and we had a hydrophone in a bath and i played the bath with the, sh- the shuffley sticks <laughs> shuffley sticks the brushes <laughs> um, and created the bath shuffle sound <laughs> um so actually went that came in a lot because it was used in moments where i needed percussion or to give an atmosphere or something about to happen um but yeah the soundtrack itself those sounds didn't really get developed as much as i would have wanted to uh because you know the nature of the thing these things especially with tv the deadlines are so fast that we realized quite quickly that the music needed to hold more of the drama than what was originally intended. So it had a lot more work to do. So I needed to do string scoring. And then that became the main thing that carried the whole plot and everything through. Yeah. But yeah. we didn't have the budget. So I had to do everything with a string quartet. So luckily over here, I had some friends an amazing quartet and literally the church that is like one minute walk from my house had the most amazing acoustics and didn't have a road next to it with the sound picking up so just went in there and we remote recorded everything um in that sense until actually lockdown hit and then I had to do it remotely with players in Scotland and London and all over the place but but yeah it was an amazing experience and it was a great great show to work on for sure
2: yeah well wow, that sounds like you had quite a process then between suddenly when lockdown hits then it's uh, quite a jigsaw to kind of uh, put all that together.
0: Yeah and I guess you know quite a lot of composers and artists have had to get used to it over the last kind of year. Um but yeah when that when that hits and you have no idea what to do it was quite a it was quite a panic um from everyone but you know it did get finished and I guess you know it went it came out in August but we had to have it all tied up by March so it was it was a real kind of full steam ahead everybody you know just doing as much as they possibly could and the poor like kind of editing house you know they're the ones that are last to get everything and working remotely but they figured it all out and stuff but yeah it was it was panic stations (laughs) (laughs) totally
2: And, and last question it would be um, really criminal if we didn 't talk about night tracks um, your amazing radio show on BBC three um, where you play a lovely mix of everything old and new um, from yeah upcoming composers to sort of very well known composers from the past how did How did you get into radio and how did that how did that come about? I know you um, stood in for Guy Garvey at BBC six for whilst he was away at one point but yeah how how did the radio thing sort of come to fruition and it's yes yeah, it's, it's amazing that it did because it's such such a nice thing to have I mean I listen to it so regularly it's yeah it's beautiful
0: Ah, oh, thank you so much for listening yeah I often wonder who's listening because it's late at night <laughs> but um yeah I, yeah Guy Garvey I sat in for him came through Marianne Hobbs at Six Music actually. I was at a festival and she was like, What are you doing this Sunday? Can you sit in for Garvey And I literally thought she meant just doing a 20 minute slot. And I was like, Yeah, cool. And when I went over to the producers, they were like, Yeah, so you know it's two hour show and you're and I was like, oh my God. Um and that was a lot that was a lot of work because you're not given a producer. You are on your own. You do all the work, research, everything, you put the whole show together. Um and deliver it basically, and then I ended up doing kind of five, four or five of those until i, I said it's, i can't it's too much work <laughs> i can't do this anymore, but in the meantime, uh, the team that were behind night tracks had put a bid in to take over the late night slot of Radio three, and they contacted and said, um, "We like your music choices and your your voice <laughs> uh would you like would you consider doing this um And it was in partnership with Sarah Moore Peach, who I love anyway, is a presenter and have met a few times. I was like, yes, definitely. Um, So, yeah, and it's a lot nicer because it's a really good team spirit that we have. Like the producers kind of change quite a lot in terms of, but they're all the same team and we all work together to put the shows together. So I find a lot of new music, they have a lot more knowledge of the more classical side being Radio 3. Um, and so we come up with these these shows that do kind of transcend time and style and genre as long as they have a late night feel to them yeah so it's not overly played with beats on it. it's not overly vocal or anything it's kind of music you can listen to at night or you could listen to during the day when working and um there's a really lovely essence that the what I really enjoy is that you're never speaking over silence. You're always talking over like segues of music that the producers have made themselves.
1: Yeah.
0: um, Using different frozen verbs and different techniques to kind of instill the track from one piece and move it seamlessly via different key changes into the next. Um, And there's kind of samples of like the BBC, I think it's BBC orchestra. um. Uh, playing different atmospheric te- textures and things and harmonics to kind of always give this bed of, and feeling of you no know, breaking into silence, which is uh, it's really lovely. So, yeah, I've really learned a lot and loved it as well. I'm glad you enjoy it.
2: Thank yeah, you. no, it's great. I know so many people that also tune in. So, it's been, uh, it's been especially over the past, well, we're coming up to a year now. It's been, uh, yes, I, th- I feel BBC Three has been, it's really. Uh, I mean it's always been amazing but there's just there's night tracks as Elizabeth Walker it's been a real amazing place to uh, just go and find some go and find some new music and yeah it's been a godsend yeah. in these times so thank you
0: no thank you but yeah it's <laughs> also I mean it's a lot of people do have told me it's kept them kind of going but it's also kept me going like having something regular and and having that feeling of looking for artists and connecting people and messaging them and saying can I play this and it's a really lovely feeling of being able to you know even though you're isolated being able to reach different people and and help because a lot of the music we play is very independent and self-released actually yeah so a lot of the music we find is on Bandcamp, um not necessarily had a, re- a label behind it and and it's from all across the world which is just fab
2: yeah well thank you so much for taking time today to uh, speak to us and can't wish you enough good luck for the album when it comes out i know i just saw it got playlisted on uh, six music today so congrats on that too
1: thank
0: you yeah that's yeah. very exciting yes <laughs> yeah. a dream come true <laughs> thanks for having me Great. Cheers. Cool.
2: thank you cheers hannah